Y'all ready for this? If you got your Bibles, open to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 15, 2 Samuel 15. Uh, if you're new to Waterfront, I am so sorry that you just keep uh, hanging out in the middle of this series. We've been four months now going verse by verse through 2 Samuel, uh, where we've been walking through the life story of Absalom. And some of you through this study have gone, was, how in the world was David the man after God's own heart? Because he just got into so much trouble, uh, had so many issues with his family in the country. Are y'all ready for this? Today is the turn. If you don't take anything else away from this series, I hope that you'll know David was not born the man after God's own heart. God crafted him and shaped him to become the man after God's own heart. And that's a beautifully encouraging thing for each one of us, isn't it? That God is constantly working on us. We call that process sanctification, and he is shaping us to look like his son, Jesus. And so this is a great lesson to take notes on today. If you guys have the ability to do that, it should be a pen in your seat. I want to encourage you to take notes on this one. Starts with this question today. Have you ever been afraid that you would lose something you were proud of before? You ever been afraid that you would lose something you were proud of before? I can tell you for me personally, um, I, there are different uh, items that I've been afraid to lose over the years. There certainly have been different people uh, that I was afraid to lose over the years. And let's just be honest, uh, there have been different jobs uh, that I was afraid to lose over the years. Some of you may have that experience before. Um, we call this idea of living, op- we're going to call it living open-handed, having an open-handed faith. Uh, and it means that sometimes when we're afraid to lose something, we hold on just a little bit too tight. I'll never forget, uh, first time as a young man, I went to New York City. I had watched, some of you are from New York, and uh, I'd watched all these movies as a Texan, you know, living in suburban Texas, and I was just scared to death I was going to get mugged the second I got off the train. And so you watch movies like Ocean's Eleven, you know, where all they do is bump into someone, and then their wallet is gone. And so, I kid you not, um, I get off the train, and I think to myself, someone's going to steal my wallet. And so I took my most prized possession on me, my wallet, and I put it in my front pocket, and I literally kept my hand on my wallet the entire time. So I'm walking through New York just like this, I mean, for like three days straight. I was so afraid that I would lose my wallet, right? Again, the whole experience, but I'm holding on to this thing uh, that I think is very, very precious. I'll also never forget this. I worked at waiting tables for four and a half years at the finest restaurant in America, Red Lobster. All right, some of you know that. I worked at Red Lobster, and uh, because of a restaurant, schedule, the restaurant opened at 11 a.m. and closed at 11 p.m. So I kind of worked into this attitude during that time of uh, I was sleeping in late and I was uh, not going, I was going to bed late as well. And so just kind of the way that the schedule works. But I get my first job in ministry. No church is opening at noon. All right. They opened at eight. And that meant that I had to change my sleeping schedule. Even though for the last four and a half years, I'd been on that going to bed late and uh, staying up or going, or waking up late and then st- uh, staying up late schedule. So uh, some of you may have done this. I was afraid I was going to lose my job. So I was the person that set three different alarms for that first month of my job to make sure I could work into my new schedule. How many of you want to confess that you've done that before? Multiple alarms. There you go, right? Some of you who have trouble waking up, this just sets you free today, all right? Head over to Walmart or Target, get you some new alarms, all right? You're going to need them. All that to say, I was afraid to lose what I have, and so I made sure uh, that, uh, that I held on to that. Now listen, it's interesting. When it comes to Almighty God... There are some blessings that he has given us that we don't want to let go of. Can I tell you, it was very easy when I was young to live with an open-handed faith. Do you know why? Because I didn't have anything, right? 
there was no stuff. There was nothing holding me down. There were no deep relationships that were anchoring me. And because of that, it was very easy to look to God and say, Lord, I give you everything. I trust you completely. But over time, I got a wonderful wife. I got to marry my best friend. And can I tell you, as great a gift as that was, man, I don't want to lose it. And so my grip starts to tighten. I've got four of the most amazing kiddos. I love them so much. In fact, my heart was opened up in in ways that I never knew were possible when God gave us this great gift. And so all of a sudden, I find myself tightening my grip further. And can I tell you what else happened? I get to pastor the most amazing church. I got to be the one that God gave the vision to, to found Waterfront Church. And now every day is like the best, the staff will tell you, every day is like the best day of my life, getting to serve here and getting to serve you. And I'm telling you, it's like, you know, Lord, I can't let go of this, right? I mean, I'm telling you, I'm holding on to so many things. Listen to me, for some of you, that's your life. Sometimes you come to church and you just feel like you've just been decimated. If that's you, the lesson's for you today. But there's some of you in this room and you got a few things. There are a few blessings that God's given you, and you are pretty proud of the job that you have. You are pretty proud of the relationships that God has developed around you. You're pretty proud of some of the possessions that you've gotten to accumulate. Now listen to me. Everything that God blesses us with is so we might know him and serve him better. Amen? He blesses us so that we can bless others and so that we can know him in a deeper and more powerful way. If you want to take notes, write this down. Are you ready? A disciple must come to the point that they value their relationship with God more than the blessings of God. Let me say that again. A disciple must come to the point that they value their relationship with God more than the blessings of God. My dad used to teach me early on, if you've been around Waterfront any amount of time, you've heard the story that our church started with a very simple prayer that we call the Disciples' Prayer. It's a simple prayer to pray. It's a hard prayer to mean. It goes like this. God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. That's the heartbeat of a disciple. God, my life is a blank check in your hands. The reason that's an easy prayer to pray, but a hard prayer to mean, is because we pray it this way. God, I'll do whatever you want me to do as long as I can make a certain amount of money. God, I'll do whatever you want me to do as long as I can live in a certain place. God, I'll do whatever you want me to do as long as I can marry a certain person, as long as I can drive a certain car, as long as I can live in a certain size house. And if all those things line up, then God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. The problem with that principle is lordship. That God is the one who has created us. He is good. He creates good things. He made us for a very specific purpose. And when we try to tell him how life has to be in order for us to follow him, that is not a stipulation that he can honor. We have to live life with open hands, trusting that God is good and that he does things for our good. So up until this point, David, when you read about the young man David... The young man, David, I'm telling you, lived open-handed. You think about the original story of David stepping up to fight against Goliath when he was just a kid. He's about four feet tall. Goliath's nine and a half feet tall. I mean, I'm telling you, David lives life with open-handed faith. Not only that, remember he's in the house and one day he has to hide idols in the bed and flee the palace to go live in the crags for years and years. I mean, I'm telling you, he lived life with this open-handed faith, but then all of a sudden something began to change. He gets the palace. He gets a large family. He gets all the trappings that come with being the most powerful man in Israel and feared 
because he was a military hero as well. So all of a sudden, David's grip begins to tighten. And over the last four months, the study that we've been doing, as his grip tightens, his family spirals out of control and the nation begins to be torn in two. The passage I'm going to read to you today addresses the question, what blessings come from open-handed faith? And for those of you waiting to see why David was the man after God's own heart, this passage had me weeping in tears as I wrote the message this week. I always pray for you when I'm about to deliver a message. I prayed for you so much this week because there are some of you, I can feel it. God is calling you to release the wonderful blessings that he's given to you, not that they would be out of your control, but that you would be managers and not owners of the blessings that God has given you. They belong to him and he has bestowed them upon us. And when he calls for them, he can take them back because something else is meant to be in our hands. Are you ready for this? What blessings come from open-handed faith? Now look at 2 Samuel 15, and we're going to start in verse 13 today. So those of you who've been with us, you can go back and listen to the podcast. Uh, The story of Absalom begins uh, with the rape of his sister Tamar by her half-brother Amnon. It's an awful, awful story. Uh, And after that happens, Absalom gets so angry, Absalom then puts together a conspiracy to kill his brother Amnon. Kills Amnon in awful fashion and then basically goes on the run for about a decade. It's a terrible, terrible story. And yet, David struggles in knowing how to deal with his son. And knowing how to confront the sin that is welled up in his life. And so it comes together, comes to a boil where finally Absalom for four years stands at the city gate. And Absalom starts to change the hearts of men uh, through lies and deceit. uh, To change the hearts of the men in Israel uh, to believe that he should be king. There's not everyone in the country feeling like David should go away. But Absalom has created a split where it's becoming two Israels. So look at what happens in verse 13. It says, so a messenger came to David and said, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. Start right there for just a minute. This is not multiple messengers. This is not an army. This is not an ultimatum. This is someone tipping David off uh, that this is happening. Now, just for the record, David then has three responses. He can fight, he can negotiate, or he can flee. Now, what has David done for the bulk of his life? He has stood and fought any time opposition was there. Think back about the Goliath story. It's within David to stand up and have courage when nobody else would have courage. But in this moment, look at how David assesses the situation. Verse 14, it says, Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Come, we must flee. Underline, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately. Look at this. Or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin upon us and put the city to the sword. Underline, and put the city to the sword. The king's officials then answered him, Your servants are ready to do whatever our lord the king chooses. Now stop right there for just a minute. He can fight. He can negotiate. Or he can flee. And what does David do in this moment where everything in him wants to stand and fight for what it is he's been holding on to all this time? All of a sudden, his hands open and he says, we must flee. Why? Because if we don't, innocent people are going to get hurt. Can I just tell you, David has got some pretty salty soldiers that are with him. He also is a salty soldier himself. Man, if David wants to stand and fight, the picture of these verses are not that he's going to lose easily. 
The picture in this verse is David, again, through the power of Yahweh, Almighty God, realizes if I stay and fight to hold on to what I have, then it'll split the country and it'll hurt those I love needlessly. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? What blessings come from open-handed faith? Number one is peace in place of destruction. Peace in place of destruction. Now, there are some of you here that would say, Zach, are you saying we should just give up? When there's something that's worth fighting for, the kingdom in this circumstance, David's palace, David's family, are you saying that we should just always give up? Listen to me. No, not every time. But you're not called to stand and fight every time either. If you want to write this down, you can. You ready? There is a time to stay and fight, but not every time. Can I say that to you again? There's a time to stay and fight, but not every time. It's why Ecclesiastes says there's a time and a place for everything under heaven, under the sun. Sometimes we're called to stay and fight. Do you know when that time is? When the Lord tells us to. Sometimes we're called to flee in the night. Do you know when we're called to do that? When the Lord tells us to. We live in submission to him with open-handed hearts and open-handed faith. I'll never forget when my dad was navigating pancreatic cancer. There was a stretch where they had just diagnosed him and given him 30 days to live. Dad was a pastor and a really, really good one. Um, in fact, I see the chaplain over there. Chaplain, thanks for coming today. Um, right before my dad passed away, he got to spend two weeks before he died. He prayed at the Capitol uh, and led the session. That moment happened in a very special way. It happened because 30 days, when dad was given 30 days to live, they had told him if he took a chemo treatment, there was a 3.2% chance that, he could, uh, that it could be successful. Some of you know pancreatic cancer is just one of the worst. It just moves so quickly. And uh, I remember 3.2% chance. And we went to dad and said, what are you going to do? And he said, I think I'm going to take the chemo. And we said, okay. He said, but not because I'm afraid to die. He said, I'm going to take the chemo because the spirit told me to take the chemo. And you know what's crazy? That joker lived nine more months. Can you believe that? <laughs> nine more months, 3.2% chance. And two weeks before he died, he got to pray at the Capitol. Now, you know what's interesting? He gets 30 days to live a second time. And I remember talking to him. And I said, Dad, what are you going to do? Are you going to take chemo again? He said, the spirits told me not this time. It's my time to go home. It illustrated such great faith for me. Living open-handed. He didn't want to die. But he wanted to do the will of God more than he was afraid of his own death. I want to encourage you. Are you at a place where in your relationship with God, you hold on so tight that you fight every battle that's possible. Let's just be honest for a minute. Some of you who have ex-spouses, ex-boyfriend or girlfriends, they're an ex for a reason, right? You were close, and now you're not. And guess what? I've met a lot of couples over the years that when they split, they make the decision, I feel like I lost when we were together, and I am never losing again. And you guys fight in some of the most awful ways imaginable because you have to win at all costs. Listen to me. Sometimes the godliest thing you can do is lose. Amen? Sometimes the godliest thing you can do is flee. When you have to win all the time and you can't ever be the one that takes a loss or takes a hit, 
that doesn't mean that you're the big winner. And a lot of times it means that you have people that absolutely despise you. Sometimes the best thing you can do is to flee and take the loss. And that's what David does in this circumstance. There's a time to stay and fight, but not every time. I won't bore you with the story because I've told you this before. There was one job in my career uh, that I just absolutely despised. Hated every minute of working on it. And uh, I wrote something in the flap of my Bible. I didn't put this in your notes, but you can write it down if you want to. I worked a year to the day in this job. Hated it from the very first day. And I remember I would get up in the morning and pray, Lord, it's today the day I quit. It's today the day I resign. You ever had that job before? Some of you are in it. I get it. All right. And I'd pray, Lord, it's today the day I resign. And can I tell you what's interesting? I wrote in the flap of my Bible, sometimes faith is walking away, and sometimes faith is one more day. If you want to write that down, you can. Sometimes faith is walking away, sometimes faith is one more day. And for an entire year, Lord, it's today the day. It's today the day. And then finally, the day came, and the resignation was a whole lot harder than I thought it was going to be. This job that I had despised, And there was major baggage that I carried after that moment. But in both cases, the will of God to stay is just as strong as the will of God to go. How do you know which is which? You go before God every morning and you pray your disciples' prayer. God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. My life is a blank check in your hands. And I live in open-handed fashion, holding on to nothing, even the things that I love the most. If you're taking notes, it begs this question. Are you ready? Are you holding on too tightly to your position of authority? Say that again. Are you holding on too tightly to your position of authority? For some of you, just honestly, do you love your job more than you love the Lord? Do you love your job more than you love the Lord? Now look at the next part. This is the part that made me emotional. You ready? Look at 2 Samuel 15, verses 16 through 23. So David says, we're leaving. We're just going to walk out. He can have it. I don't want this thing anymore. He can have it. It's not that I don't desire it. It's just that I love my relationship with God more. I want there to be peace. I don't want innocent people to be hurt. I'm not giving up. I'm choosing the godly path. Now verse 16, it says, So the king set out with his entire household following him, but he left the ten concubines in place to take care of the palace. Underline left the ten concubines in place. The idea there is they are the witnesses. One commentator said they are the witnesses to let Absalom know they David's not mounting forces to fight against you. He's left part of his family to let you know we're not splitting the kingdom. Look at what happens in verse 17. So the king set out with all the people following him, and they halted at a place some distance away. He gets some distance from him in the city. It says, then all his men marched past him along with the Carathites and the Pelathites and the 600 Gittites who had accompanied him from Gath and marched before the king. If you want a little fun side note here, uh, the uh, Carathites and the Pelathites, those are the men led by Benaiah. Remember, Benaiah is the one that goes down in a pit with the lion on a snowy day uh, and uh, kills the lion. He's David's bodyguard, basically. This is Benaiah with all the men. They've pledged their allegiance to Israel. But in this moment, they look at David and they go, dude, we're with you. You're the one following the Lord. And you can almost feel this stirring. Gives me chills talking about the stirring amongst them of David's following the Lord again. He's not just trying to preserve his position in the palace. He's not just trying to preserve his political authority. He's stepping up to lead again. Look at what happens next. It says, then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, 
Why should you come along with us? Go back and stay with King Absalom, for you are a foreigner, an exile from your homeland. You only came yesterday. I know you only came yesterday. And today, shall I make you wander about with us when I do not know where I'm going? Go back and take your countrymen. May kindness and faithfulness be with you. Stop right there for just a minute. Ittai the Gittite most likely, most likely was connected to David in the time that he fought with the Philistines right before he came on to be the king of Israel. I mean, this is, again, from one of the darkest periods of his life. And Ittai the Gittite from Gath, that's the town that Goliath was from. I mean, I'm telling you that this group that's come to Israel, I mean, it is a massive shift for them culturally. They've come in at some point previous to this day, and all of a sudden David looks at them and goes, this isn't your fight. This isn't your culture. These are not your people. You don't have to go with us. I realize you came uh, because of the experience you had with me years ago, but I'm not counting on you uh, to base your claim on me. Look at what happens next. It says, but Ittai replied to the king, as surely as the Lord lives, underline as surely as the Lord lives, and as my Lord the king lives, wherever my Lord the king may be, whether it means life or death, There your servant will be. So David said to Ittai, he says, go ahead, march on. So Ittai the Gittite marched on with all his countrymen and the families that were with him. And the whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by. And the king also crossed the Kidron Valley and all the people moved towards the desert. Stop right there for just a minute. You got to catch this. Ittai the Gittite, they were of a Philistine culture. The Philistine culture were like the pirates of the ancient world. They lived on an area called the Gaza Strip. And what they would do is they would once a year do a raiding party where they would go through and they would steal your sons for slaves, your daughters for prostitutes, and they would steal all the crops that you had raised and your agricultural. Then they would get to their fancy boats, sail out a ways from shore, and then the agriculture people didn't have boats. And so they would sail out and they would take everything that mattered the most to you. Ittai leaves that lifestyle. He leaves to follow David, but he says at the beginning, don't miss it, as surely as the Lord lives. He says, David, we follow you, not because you're the king of Israel. He says, we follow you because you follow God. He's renounced his culture. He's renounced his former religion. And he said, David, this isn't a decision about you. This is a decision about our new God, Yahweh. And David goes, then march with us. Then march on. Listen to me. This moment doesn't happen if David doesn't flee. If he doesn't show not weakness, but complete and ultimate dependence on God. And that's what happens when we flee in fear Fleeing in fear is weakness that's not good. Fleeing because the Lord God called us to do so is so powerful because it shines a spotlight on the dependence that we have on our God. Amen? If you're taking notes, our question, what blessings come from open-handed faith? Number one, peace in place of destruction. And number two, genuine friendship in place of resentment. Genuine friendship in place of resentment. I guarantee you, David had always hoped that Benaiah would stick with him through thick and thin. And on this day, he did. He had always hoped that there would be people that would see his cause and that they would understand. And I love that last part where it says the whole countryside wept aloud. 
Verse 13, the message had been given that the hearts of all the men of Israel were against David. David, as he follows the Lord, as he's completely dependent upon him, all of a sudden everybody in the countryside weeps because they remember why they followed David in the first place. Because he was in submission to Yahweh. It begs the question, are you holding on too tightly to the people that you love most? Are you holding on too tightly to the people that you love most? So this is interesting because part of being godly is being a godly husband or being a godly wife or being a godly father or being a godly mother or being a godly best friend. But when we hold on to those people and we don't let them go, that is sinful. Now you'd say, what's the difference between living open-handed with that person and in clinging to them and doing something that's sinful? Don't miss this. So when my wife and I first started dating, one of the things that we said, we had a Christ-centered relationship from the beginning. And we'll be married. It'll be 18 years in January that she and I have been married. Now listen, from the time we were dating, the first time we told each other that we loved one another, we have always said to each other, I love you more than anything in the world except the Lord. It's one of the things that we've always said to each other. I know you're going to say that sounds very preachery. It does. All right, I get it. <laughs> but the point is, the way that I can be the best husband to my wife, Autumn, is if I love God just a tick more than I love her. Now, that doesn't mean that she takes a back seat all the time. But it means that in my planning, in my life, in the way that I am in submission to Almighty God, I live open-handed with her. I'm in submission to him above all else. And most of the time, 99.9% .9 of the time, the way that I submit to God is to submit to life. But ultimately, it's got to be him. Can I tell you another thing that's crazy? When you have kiddos one day, there is a love in your heart that opens up where you would do anything for that offspring, anything, to the point that it becomes real easy to hold on tight. But the way that I love my kids best, if you want to write this down, you can. I always love my wife just a bit more than my kids. And I always love the Lord just a bit more than my wife. If you can keep the priorities in that order, I'm telling you, you will live in godly fashion. I am not an owner of them. I am a manager of these relationships, open-handed, and God is the one who controls it. Again, it begs that question. Are you holding on too tightly to people that you love most? Um, kind of a fun little quote here if you want to write it down. Um, Matthew Henry says it this way. He said, Christ enlists none but volunteers. I like that little quote. Christ enlists none but volunteers. You see, our relationship with Jesus is also similar. He does not force us into a relationship. Again, when we call out to him, he receives us. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So again, are you holding on too tightly to people that you love the most? Maybe it's time you live open-handed with them. And then we have one last little part here. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 24 through 26. It says Zadok was there too. Underline Zadok was there too. Zadok is the assistant priest, assistant high priest. It says Zadok was there too. And all the Levites were, who were with him, look at this, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. This is the same Nazi face-melting Ark of the Covenant from Raiders of the Lost Ark. All right, so he was just kidding. Underline and highlight that. This is the Ark. They set down the Ark of God 
And Abathar offered sacrifices until all the people had finished leaving the city. It says, then David said to Zadok, the king said to Zadok, take the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it and in his his dwelling place again. But if he says, I'm not pleased with you, then I'm ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. Now stop right there for just a minute. This is the same David that had conspired to kill Uriah and cover it up. The same David that tried to take control in his life in such dramatic fashion previously is now the same David that is crying out and going, you know what? God can do with me whatever he sees fit. But don't miss this. The ark of God, the ark of God served two purposes. First, it was the major nuclear warhead military weapon of its day and time. All they had to do was march in with the ark and crazy military disaster would take place on the enemy. I mean, there was story after story. And so Zadok shows up and he goes, hey, you may run into trouble while you're on the run in the wilderness. Do you want to take the nuclear warhead with you? Do you want to take a military weapon where people shudder just at the sight of it? And then the second piece is it's the instrument that was used to call out to God in a public setting and ask for Yahweh to speak to the people. So he looks and he says, do you want the military weapon? Do you want the the, the showy piece where you've heard from God powerfully in its presence before? And you got to love this. David has grown so dramatically in his faith. David looks and says, God will take care of us whether the military box is there or not. I trust him and God will speak to me whether the big fancy speech box is there or not. And then I love this. He says, take it back to Jerusalem. Who's in Jerusalem? Absalom's in Jerusalem. He says, and my son, he's still holding out hope that Absalom will repent and their family can be whole again. The beauty here of David, trusting God with every aspect of his life, with every aspect of the country. You see, it was just a box. It was a very special box. And he says, that box is special to me. I hope I get to worship the Lord near that box again. He says, but if not, he said, leave it close to my son. If you're taking notes, what blessings come from open-handed faith? Number three is clear eyes in place of strained hands. Clear eyes in place of strained hands. Let's just get real honest here. For some of you, it's the job that you hold on to. For some of you, it's the relationship. And then for some of you, it's just some item. It's just something that's very important to you. Something grandma gave you. It's having a car in the city, right? Some of you have that, right? It's holding on to that. For some of you, it's a certain amount of square footage or it's a yard. We had to give up a yard for eight years or for six and a half years living here in the city. I mean, I'm telling you, four, four kids and no yard. I mean, again, it was intense. I'm just telling you, there are things that you hold on to and you go, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And you know what? 90% of my hands are wide open, but I got two fingers holding on to something over here. I just need to make sure I have that car. I just need to make sure that I have that thing from grandma. I just need to make sure that there's a certain amount of money in my bank account. And as long as those happen, Lord, I'll go and do whatever you want me to do. And the Lord looks and goes, I asked for all of it. I asked for all of it. That doesn't mean you give it up. It means you give up ownership of it. Trust him to be your ultimate. I'll never forget when we moved here to D.C. Um, we used to, we lived in a 1,400 square foot house in Texas and uh, had a two-car garage that was filled with just a bunch of junk. We couldn't even park our cars in the garage because we had so much stuff. 
And then all of a sudden, we've got three kids at the time, and we moved to 100 Capitol Yards right across the street over here, and we moved into an 1,100-square-foot, two-bedroom apartment. Some of you live in that unit. It's a great unit, right? We love it. We loved it. We cleared out that garage and got rid of so much stuff. But Autumn and I had just bought a new dining room table, all right? A year before moving to D.C. Some of you have had this exact situation happen to you. We have this brand new piece of furniture. In fact, it was the nicest piece of furniture we'd had in our marriage to that point, right? This dining room table. And it was a Texas-sized dining room table, all right? Had six chairs, and it had the bench seat that you could sit on. I mean, it was a beautiful, beautiful dining room table. And I remember we went online. Did you do this? We went online and looked at the floor plan, you know, of the, of the place. And you looked at it, and we were like, you know, it's probably bigger than it is on the floor plan, right? Did you ever have that rational, that irrational conversation with yourself? It's probably bigger you know that's probably just you know small on the on the on the computer it's usually the opposite and so i remember we're pulling up and there was a church this church plains texas drove an 18 wheeler up with all of our stuff and i remember we're out in front guys are unloading the truck and one of the big workers comes up and he goes that dining room table is not going to fit through the door and we were like, yeah, of course it will. You can take it apart. You can do this. And he goes, there's no way, man. And I remember we looked at him and we were like, can you just try? You ever done that to somebody who's moving with you? Can you just try? I mean, that's one of the dumbest things you can say, right? Can you just try? And I remember he goes, all right, we can try. They unscrew all the legs. They take everything off. And I mean, it's still, it won't turn. You have the little island in the middle. Some of you know those kitchens have the little island in the middle. It wouldn't even turn. And I remember looking at it. And it was like symbolic of that whole phase, right? We've left Texas. We've moved our family all the way up here. We're starting a church that doesn't exist at this point. And I'm telling you, there's this moment of looking at the table, and it's like, that's our life. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I remember I'm looking at it, and the guy looks at me, guy from Plains, wonderful man. He looks at me, and he goes, I'll give you 100 bucks for it. <laughs> and here's the deal. We paid 1000 for that thing, all the chairs and all that, so we can't keep the chairs. We've got to give him everything. He goes, I'll give you a hundred bucks for it. This is before the time of something that changed the world called Facebook Marketplace. All right, some of you know about that. And I remember we're staring at this thing. It's in the hallway. And I remember we, my wife and I looked at each other and we were like, I guess we gave everything. Just take it. He hands us the hundred dollar bill. They load it back on the truck. And I went and spoke at his church a few years ago. And he goes, we eat at that table every week, pastor. We love it. And so... <laughs> It's just a thing. But it was an important thing. It was something I enjoyed. And it was symbolic of a phase of life that was deeply changing. Listen to me. For some of you, there is a physical item that has power over you. You are holding on to it, and it's time to let it go. Now, this is not the pastor saying, drop it in the offering basket on your way out, all right? You can still keep it. But if the Lord calls for it, open-handed faith is saying, God, my faith in you is not contingent upon whether or not I get this thing. If you're taking notes, write this down. Last quote for you. Ready? Honestly, present your heartfelt desires to God without making them a stipulation of your allegiance. Let me say that again. Honestly, present your heartfelt desires to God without making them a stipulation of your allegiance. Clear eyes in place of strained hands. 
And if you don't believe me, we can hear it straight from the mouth of Jesus. Flip open now and we'll close with Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 36. Here's what Jesus has to say about the situation. Mark 8, 34 through 36. It says, Then Jesus called the crowds to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, if anyone would be my disciple, if anyone would follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. For whoever wants to hold on to the dining room table will lose it. For whoever wants to hold on to driving that car, for whoever wants to hold on to whatever thing it is, you will lose it. Look at what he says. He says, but for whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. For what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his very soul? (sighs) Managers, not owners. Is God blessing you? Are there some things in your life that you adore so deeply? Are there people in your life? Do you love your job? You can still love those things. But make sure you love God just a little bit more. Open those hands and know that if you are in a season where he is removing something from you, God is good. He only makes good things. And he will replace that empty hand with a full life. Is that a good word? Thanks for listening today. Now, don't tune out. Look at my eyes. Most important part of our service are these next few moments. It's where we talk about, we call it our time of reflection. It's where we talk about how we're different because of what we've received today. So let's bow our heads for prayer.